Hey, my name is Tiffany Vaughn, and I'm on a mission to help regular people like me find their voice and then use it for lifting themselves and others up around them. I'm a small town mom to three kiddos with my hubby James, and man, have we been dealing with a lot. But isn't everyone? I lovingly call it our hard, beautiful journey, and I bet that yours is too. In season one, I tossed the bricks from my shoulders that were weighing me down. Bricks that represented shame, embarrassment, regret, loss, you name it, I was feeling it. I am now taking those bricks and building up a stronger foundation for myself and our family. I've created this safe space for me and you to open our hearts and our minds and to use our voices to help others know they are not alone in their struggles. Mental health, marriage and divorce, infertility, parenting, and some soul journey work are all topics that we discuss here. Let's be real for a minute. Life can definitely be hard, but it can also be so dang beautiful. Am I right? So pull up a cozy seat, grab your beverage of choice, and join me as I help others talk about their hard, beautiful journey. I know they will inspire you as much as they inspire me. So let's get started. Hey there, welcome back to Hard Beautiful Journey. The topic that my guest and I are discussing today is one that I can't even imagine ever experiencing, which is the loss of a child. Peggy Green is here to talk about the incredibly difficult loss of two of her four children, one at the age of nine months old, and then recently the loss of her son at the age of 24. Peggy has taken the loss of her two kids and written a book titled Life After Child Loss, which outlines eight simple steps that she took to survive and handle these deep losses. These steps can absolutely be used in the grieving process for other loved ones as well. As a warning, this episode discusses suicide, so if you are feeling vulnerable in this area, please consult with a doctor or mental health professional in your area, or call one of the suicide prevention numbers in the show notes of this episode. Here is my interview with Peggy. Hello, Peggy. How are you doing today? Tiffany, I'm doing wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Today's topic is so needed. I actually know a couple of people that have lost children, and I know um, the hard, beautiful journey that that is dealing with the loss of your children. And I'm so grateful that you're here to discuss the book that you wrote about your journey. And but first, I want to acknowledge the loss of your own two children, Courtney and Connor. And I'm so sorry that you have had to walk that journey of not only losing one child, but two children. And I just want to say how much strength I think you have and that you've shown since and what you're doing today to help other grieving parents. It's, it's really important work that you're doing. So um, I thought that we would start with you sharing your story with my listeners. Yes, thank you so much, Tiffany, and for that introduction. And I do appreciate your condolences. And I really do need to step into and realize the magnitude of my loss, losses, as I even have had other losses. In one of the ways that I'd like to get started with this is by sharing a little bit of a story. And so I'll dive into that. And I think this gives the listeners the opportunity to understand where I'm coming from and somewhat of the experience. So imagine I'm in Colorado and it was a couple weeks before Christmas and I was driving home on a Friday afternoon in the midst of rush hour traffic and I was lost in thought. I was thinking about the holidays that were coming up, the things that needed to be done but also about the special time that I share with my children and how important Christmas morning is now is because the kids now spend Christmas evening with their father and Christmas morning and Christmas day with myself. And it's so important for us to be together at that time. We bond and and we laugh and it's a guaranteed time together. Well, my thoughts were interrupted when my phone rang And it was my oldest daughter who was calling. And instead of her usual, hello, mama, she said something, but it wasn't to me. She said, 
well, I know he hasn't been feeling well lately. And I immediately knew she was talking about her brother, my son, Connor, because they worked together in dealerships, car dealerships that were next to each other. And so I knew she was talking about him. But yet when I tried to get her attention again, hello, 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 she didn't answer. So I hung up my phone and by this time my heart was racing because her to say something like that doesn't sound good. It's scary and my mother's intuition kicked in. So I called her back and this time she answered the phone. Hello, but it was softly and it was interjected with tears and sobs. And she told me, mama, this is the hardest thing I'm ever going to have to tell you, but Connor is dead. Connor killed himself. So uh, by this time I was pulled over on the side of the highway and I slapped my hands on that steering wheel and cried out to God because I couldn't imagine that this was happening. It took me to a flashback of 28 years earlier when I lost my precious daughter, Courtney, in a daycare accident. 28 I was devastated. Mm-hmm. And all I knew was that I needed to get back to where my daughter was and where my son was and where the rest of my family was now gathering. I needed to be together with them. And my son was such a precious child. He was 24 and he would do anything for others. He loved others. He would do it at the detriment of doing damage to himself, to his job, mm-hmm. um, hurting himself, carrying things too heavy. And he actually loved life. He loved his animals and he loved being with other people and he had respect amongst his peers. And so this was just quite the surprise for us to hear that this had happened. And Courtney was nine months old. Is that right? Courtney was nine months old. And it was in a daycare accident? Yes. At the time we were, I was married and her father and I were working some really odd hours with our careers. He was a salesman who traveled across the country And I was in a management position, which would require me to start at 6 a.m. and get off at two o'clock in the afternoon or start at one o'clock in the afternoon, not get off until midnight. And so a traditional daycare wasn't viable. It didn't work. And so we chose this woman who did daycare out of her home. We interviewed her. She was like a grandmother, but she wasn't licensed. And we knew that. And that at that time wasn't what was important to us. What was important is that who she was and she loved the children that she watched. And unfortunately her home was not childproofed. And so it was by accident in which Courtney um, passed away in her, in her care. Nine months and 24 years old. Oh my goodness. I, when I was reading your book, there was a part Um, when I was reading about Connor and it reminded me of one of my sons and it was that he loved taco Tuesday and my son loves taco Tuesday. But the other thing that I loved was that he loved tie dye shirts. Yes. How many tie dye shirts did he have? Oh gosh. You know, Tiffany, that's um, the story around those tie dyes. I don't even know how he, how he, became so passionate about wearing tie-dye, but even on his work days, he would, underneath his dress shirts, he would wear a tie-dye t-shirt. Really? And yeah. (laughs) And there were times that we even would get together as a family, as an event, we would tie-dye shirts, you know, so that we would have something that we could wear together. And he called it tie-dye Fridays. Mm -hmm. And when we did clean out his room. He was renting a room in a home with some of his buddies. There was several dozen tie-dye t-shirts, some of which went to you know, the family, his sisters and myself, but many of them went to his roommates because that was such a big deal. And at this time we had also decided, and we were requesting in honor of my son 
is instead of making this such a formal event of, of you know, suits and ties, we wanted people to wear tie-dye, mm-hmm. tie-dye t-shirts to honor and, and remember him. So we had tie-dye t-shirts. I wore a tie-dye t-shirt. His sisters did. Friends, if they didn't have tie-dye, they wore bright colors. And the only flower arrangement that we had at the altar because my son was cremated was an amazing bouquet of tie-dye flowers. Really? I don't even know how they did this, but it was amazingly beautiful. And so that was a wonderful way to honor him. Absolutely. So how, how have you survived the loss of your two children? And I know in your book, you share eight steps. Do you want to go into those steps that you've used? Yeah. You know, it's with Courtney, it has now been 30 years since she passed away And 30 years ago, child loss was so difficult to find support for. <laughs> there was not really that support. And in, in, in I managed to make it really based on my own fortitude and courage and perseverance. Now, yes, I had support with my mom and my sister and some close friends. But outside of that, what I did was really based on what I knew and the first step that I really like to share with people is to journal. It's one of the simplest things that people can do. And there's so many reasons to do that, Tiffany, is that we do it because processing whatever it is. I mean, child loss is amazing, but to be able to process your loss and to think about it and make sense of your thoughts is so beneficial. And to write out your anger and your confusion and to maybe think about ideas or what you could do in the future. I also like to write down memories because our brain has a limited capacity to retain information. And if we try to retain that information forever, especially if it's memories, well then guess what? We can't clear the space for having more memories. So when you write them down, you empty out a little space of those for new ones to come in. And so I love to be able to journal for that reason. And then you can go back and review and and observe and look at the progress that you've made and evaluate and say, yes, this is, I'm no longer writing down that I'm in bed all day long. I've gotten up and I've been able to move and, and to do something. I saw some light. I, I saw a red robin today and that made me smile. You know, so when we are able to see our progress, I think that's an amazing way to be able to help us in starting with our journey. Mm-hmm. There's no rules. The only, there's two recommendations I really make. One is that you date it, put the date on it because you can check that progress. And then if you're writing multiple times during the day, you can write down the date and the time, but it's, you know, your free flow of thoughts. There's not right or wrong way. You can choose a notebook that you can stash underneath your pillow or, you know, you can lock it with a key. There's just so many things that you can do. And I find that the journaling is a really good way to be able to get through that. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned too, then moving into having your tribe, the tribe is that support in which you find who can really help you. And child loss, again, is just so unique is that many don't know how to help and support you. So those who we've counted on for other difficulties may not be able to support you because they're afraid. They're afraid for you. They're afraid for themselves. They're afraid that they're going to say and do the wrong things. So sometimes we need to reach out and be very intentional and find people who can support us because they may not be able to do it. Their heart hurts so much for our loss that they can't support us. And rather than supporting us, they, they draw us into their fears as well. Mm-hmm. And when you really want to look forward 
look at the option of moving forward, then there is caution in those in which you really want to be able to work with. And one of the other things is finding and speaking about your child. As I mentioned, it's so difficult in, in breaking that silence of speaking about your child. And I, I, I design that as being the elephant in the room and which nobody wants to talk about. And this is so important as a grieving parent, as a grieving mother, to be able to share with others what you want. And if it is to say, yes, please mention Connor. Yes, please share your memories about Courtney. And I'll just share another story with you on that is that Courtney was nine months old and my other children followed after her. She was my oldest. We also had some other cousins who were mixed in at the same ages as my other children. But when all the children got to the age of being able to read, when we went over to grandma's house, well, grandma had a little apple tree, a decoration with each one of her grandkids' names on it. And when we went over, she would take Courtney's little apple off and set it aside. Reason being is because at this point, my, two, my three children didn't know about Courtney. The cousins did. It's because their dad, Courtney's dad, didn't want to talk about Courtney. It hurt him. And so she was the elephant in the room to my own children. Mm -hmm. And finally, through a photo album, which my sister had so lovingly put together of Courtney, I shared with Courtney's two sisters and brother that she had, ex had existed, that they had an older sister. And that broke being that elephant in the room for them. And now my friends could speak about Courtney when we we're together. We didn't have to take Courtney's little apple off the tree. But it was so important for me to be able to do that. And I honestly had allowed her dad to dictate in such a way that he didn't want to talk about her, so I wouldn't. Mm -hmm. And once I was able to break through that and speak of her, then I felt so much better because she had been alive and I wanted to still remember her and recognize her. So I think it's really important to be able to share that and not be afraid to do it and not to do the same as I did with my first boss. But then with Connor, I talk about him all the time, sharing others, because sometimes being on the outside, people think, well, if I talk about them, they're going to cry. Well, heck yeah, maybe I'm going to cry, but that's also part of the healing process. So being able to do that. So I was just going to ask you about that. So for um, how do you know which parents are wanting to talk about their children? Like you just said, your, your ex-husband didn't, but you did. So as somebody approaching somebody that's lost a child, how do you broach that to know that it's okay? Tiffany, I think rather than making any sort of assumptions, it's just to flat out ask, because I have um, a friend whose daughter was 16 when she passed away and asking her if she wants to talk about her child. And now that's been probably 12 years and she's not ready mm -hmm. and that's okay. But I think for the whole, for most grieving parents, and I'm, I'm, I'm only saying that coming from my own perspective is that we do want to recognize that our child existed. And so it's really asking, and are they ready? And they may not be ready when you speak to them that day. Maybe they're ready two months down the road, two years, but it's not, it may not be that no for always, forever. I really believe that leaving that open, say, hey, do you want to talk about her? Or can I offer a memory? This is what I, what I remember about her. So it's, it's being mindful and, and asking the question. Okay. I really like that approach. Like, can I offer a memory of your child and, and just leave the door open, right? For, for when they are ready to talk. Yeah, absolutely. So it was, so that was the, the second step, right? Actually the third, or third journaling, yes. finding your tribe and the elephant and the elephant. And yeah. then 
finding a higher power. Yes. And I really like this. And a higher power can be that thing which explains the unexplainable. Mm-hmm. And for me, my higher power is God. But for others, it may not be. But that's what you can look to to go, okay, explain this to me or, or to give me comfort to help me out here. And again, having been through the loss twice, when Courtney passed away, my mom and sister were very active Christians, and I was not. And they continued to invite me to deepen my relationship with God for more understanding. However, I wasn't ready. And in between the loss of Courtney and Connor, I had come to my relationship with God. And that was deepening and getting better and improving and creating more understanding. But I think that no matter where you are, is that within that, there's a community that comes from that. With that, that you have something like-minded. The higher power, I think, is just huge. Something that you can say, you know what? This doesn't make sense to me. Help me out. Um, It was really um, important what the the pastor said at your at Connor's um, celebration of life as well to the people that attended. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, you know, so this I thought was amazing. When Connor died, I knew that he believed in a higher power and then his higher power sometimes was being outdoors and having his feet on the ground and being in the mountains, much like me as well, and and experiencing that higher power. And I was uncertain as to his beliefs in God. I later found out that I really believe that he did with some things, you know, after he passed away and finding Christian songs in his playlist. Those were important. But my son took his life and suicide is complex and it's messy and it's complicated. It's difficult to understand. And because of that, at Connor's celebration, the pastor felt an overall feeling coming from those who were attending that so many of them were not believers in Christ and that they were blaming Christ and God for Connor taking his life. However, as the pastor said, he was with Connor in his last moment as Connor had the opportunity to express his free will and make his own decisions and that God was with him and even whispering in his ear, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Because it's so easy for a non-believer, somebody from the outside to blame God and said he could have stopped Connor. He could have. Yes, he could have, but God also gives us free will. And when I look at this, it makes me sad that Connor's gone. But again, putting together some pieces after his passing helps me understand that he was experiencing some pain. I don't know exactly what his pain was. I have a good guess on what his pain was, but I've discovered that those who choose to end their life, their purpose is not to end their life, but their purpose is to get rid of the pain to take that pain away. And the only way that they know how to do it is to end their life because they're carrying that pain. Mm-hmm. Yep. I thought that was really key that he gave the guests that message really um, inspiring that he did that. Yeah. It even gave me at that time a little bit more peace because since his, his passing, Connor's passing, I've, I've become a Greek coach and a public speaker and, and an author and learning more and understanding more behind the act of suicide, of taking one's life. And I'm sure that those others that attended haven't dove into this as I have 
And so for that minimal exposure, I just pray that it really was very helpful to those who, who attended. I believe, I believe that whoever it was supposed to land on that day, it did. And I can guarantee that there was probably a good handful that it landed on and they walked away thinking maybe a little bit differently about God. And so that's why he did it. Yeah. So what are the next steps that you use? Okay. Well, then this is, this one is how to work and deal with a loved one's belongings and creating a memorial for us, Connor was in, in a room. He was renting a room in a house with his buddies. And so, you know, he had his room and we went through those limit possessions. He wasn't a big person that had a lot of physical things. You know, he didn't possess a lot. And for us, it was about finding purpose and even giving things away that he would have wanted others to have. And he had received, after my mother passed, a dining room set and a china buffet, and he took that to the house. And so we'd left that for the house because they were using it. And so, you know, my grand, my mother's legacy continues on through my son and knowing that it would serve a purpose and then his clothes. So we, what didn't go to his roommates came to my house and I have been hosting a Thanksgiving gratitude brunch for a few years and we collect and make bags for the homeless. And we took, not only did we create the supplies, the winter supplies, but one year we took his t-shirts and, and shirts and put those in those bags for the homeless. Because Connor had a heart for the homeless. He appreciated them and, and just felt for them. So we gave those away. And it was something that helped us to feel better because we were helping others. And then we were also helping others in Connor's name. And it felt good in, in knowing that. And also knowing that, honestly, that his roommates would be able to use that space again. We left his bed, bed frame, and because it was a house full of guys that could use this. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I can envision just somebody else putting it to good use. And the other thing, part of that, I lumped in with it was creating a memorial. And Connor was cremated and with those cremation package, I guess, we purchased something called a living memorial in which we purchased a sapling tree and the extra dirt and like um, bark if we were to, were to use to plant the tree. So how we ran into some obstacles because this was in December and we were like, okay, let's plant the tree in the spring. Well, we thought it would be easy to find a place to put a tree. And it was in sapling. We hadn't purchased it yet or actually received it, but we had paid for it. And when we decided where we wanted to put it, then we would contact the company. They would ship us the tree that would be appropriate for the climate, for the zone. And we struggled with where should we put it? Connor loved to hike. Well, we could put it on a national forest, but we wouldn't know if that would get eaten up by a deer it get watered if it would survive. And I currently live in a condo. So planting a tree on common property wasn't feasible. So it was only after a year and a half of thinking about this that his sisters and I came up with a solution and that was to plant a tree at the skate park where Connor learned how to skateboard. That great, wonderful idea, contacted the recreation district and they said oh we can't accept a sapling we can plant a tree of a certain size so we like okay we'll take that because the we were excited about taking it and planting it at the skate park 
where he spent so much of his time and I love going and watching him and there's so many great memories. And we were able to offer several locations that we thought would work and the Parks and Recreation Department accepted our first choice. And we were able to have them plant a tree a year and a half after he passed away. And along with that, they offered a small little plaque that would have been put in the office of the Parks and Recreation Department. And that did not suffice, especially to his younger sister. It's like this totally negates planting this tree. So after some more research and questions, we discovered that we could have them plant a, or set a memorial rock. And it's this rock in, and it is a plaque with his birthday date of passing. And then it says beloved son and brother. And that took about six months to get that placed. And so two years after he passed, we were finally able to have a dedication at the state park with a tree in the Memorial Rock. And I felt this was just such a great opportunity. I mean, it's a place that I can go watch the kids skate and remember him. But the day of that dedication, it was more of his friends that came and shared memories about him. We even had his friends write out on index cards what they remembered about him so that we preserved those thoughts. And now it's like, for me especially, getting to know him through his friends. And so doing something slightly different, but something that was so befitting to him. So even though we weren't able to do it exactly like we originally planned or right after, it took the time and being open to finding the right solution and finding that answer. So what I encourage people is that if you want to do something like that, then make it what's going to help you to feel better, maybe support others. And then the timing is in your own timing. There's no right or wrong way to do this. Absolutely. And it's very fitting that it's at the skate park, especially wow. with his love of skating. Hey. Yeah. He he got a skateboard under his feet at about 10 years old. And from there on, it was crazy. <laughs> he, he, he loved to skateboard. We built a small ramp. The first ramp was when we were yet with his dad that in his driveway and he would you know, put that skateboard down and make it a couple feet and fall off and run back to the, pick it up, run back to the other end and try it again. And, and until he finally was able to make it the length of the driveway. <laughs> As a kid, he would do tricks with his skateboard so many times that he wore out the top of his shoes. Yep. And yeah. he was and, able and, to ride the rails too though, right? Yeah, he could ride the rails. He liked to do... He liked to clear stairs. And what I mean by that is that he would go to a park and, you know, how there would be stairs and, and he would identify locations and parks by the number of stairs. Really? So he would clear three stairs and like, oh, I'm going to the three stair. And they would spend hours practicing just clearing that three stair, going off and landing at the bottom of those stairs on top of their skateboard with continued forward momentum. Did you ever go to the hospital with him because of his skateboard? No. no, I can tell you though, when he told me that he cleared 12 stairs, an entire flight of stairs, What is that I had seen videos of those who didn't clear it and wound up going to the hospital. No. So I was very thankful that he didn't tell me he was going to go try a 12 stair. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, Lordy. Okay. What's the next step? Yeah. You know, um, and the next one is really so difficult for, especially those who are making it through the first year and that's coping with the holidays, the first, the first holiday, the first birthday, even the first Friday, the first week, the first month, it depends on how you look at it. And so that is part of it is in the way in which you look at those times that are coming up and how important is it for you to recognize that and saying it's the first one 
But really I find preparing for those firsts is so beneficial. Like the first birthday, it's like, okay, how do I prepare for this? I'm obviously missing my son and I, what can I do? Do I want to celebrate, acknowledge it, spend time with family, get together, talk about them, go to the memorial? Depends on where you are in your process, but I really find being prepared and thinking about it because I know for me personally, it's the time coming up to that first, which was so hard because, oh, this was the last Friday I saw him while he was alive. And I speak so much about Connor. Believe me, I'm not forgetting Courtney at all, but Courtney was nine months. And so we don't have that history in 24 years of life. So that's where I share so much of this perspective. But in those first and being able to say, yeah, how do I, how do I prepare for it? You know, with the other holidays, do you do something different? Do you do something in, in their honor? Do you combine something different and something old tradition to honor them? So I've done a little bit of everything. And for me, it's also been very important to involve his sisters along with this because I'm not the only one that's grieving. Now my grief is different, most definitely. And, and, but I also want to make sure that I am still in the land of the living for those who are still around. I still honor my son, I still love him, yet it's important to be able to acknowledge and be present for those that are around as well. And then finally, you know, taking care of yourself. That is like our last, not, sorry, not the last one, two more, taking care of yourself. And this is where moving into the next program that I have is the hope and healing after loss in which I, when I stepped back and made it through that first year, I realized, okay, what really in a different picture helped me make it through this is knowing that my physical health was important, my mental health and spiritual and emotional health. And so how do we take care of ourselves in all those arenas? And so I initially start out with some very simple and basic things in the book, and that's even getting out and walking, getting enough water to drink, eliminating processed foods, which impact our physical health and our mental health, and replacing it with quality foods. So taking care of yourself, getting your sleep, so it's amazing how the physical component can facilitate the healing in the emotional and mental as well. And unfortunately, <laughs> grief can impact us physically as well. So you know, if you're firing, finding that you're not sleeping, then you know, getting out and getting some fresh air and walking and exercise can help. So they're all very interrelated. So that self-care is is very important. Mm -hmm. And the last one I like to offer is, is maybe finding a purpose in this loss, in taking it and allowing yourself to take that mess and do something positive with it. As we mentioned, we don't really like why we're here, but we can do something with what we've been handed. We have that choice. We have the choice to either remain in our grief and suffer, or we can move forward and live a fulfilling life. And so that's why I really help people in processing and going through their grief as a grief coach is actually helping them to see that picture and giving them the tools and techniques to be able to come through this in order to be able to fulfill fulfill live that fulfilling life and yet still remember their, their loved one. I still remember my daughter. I still remember my son. And I remember the other family members whom I've lost, but I haven't given up on living life. And so I encourage others to look into that and past those circumstances because that's in the past. So we live in the present and look to our future. We were talking before we started the interview and 
I shared with you how my podcast started and it's the same thing. I, I could have stayed in the dark and let my hard, beautiful journey define how I was going to live the rest of my life. And I decided one day that I wasn't going to do that anymore. And I was actually going to do something with the stuff that has gone on in my life and try and help other people along the way that may be going through the same thing that I've gone through or our family has gone through. And it definitely has changed my life for the better. And it, it just, it's important to keep living your life regardless. Um, so I completely agree with, with what you're doing with your last step. And it's so important to help other grieving parents that are going through that. So um, what inspired you to write your book, Life After Child Loss? You know, Tiffany, really much what you just mentioned. After Connor passed away, I started essentially blogging on Facebook, my journey, what was going on, my heartache. But alongside with that, I was expressing and sharing how I was moving forward and altering my thoughts and saying, okay, this has happened, yet I'm, I'm doing this and I'm able to think about this differently. So I was encouraged by others in my blogs, my Facebook posts, and people were saying, you're helping me in my journey. You're being vulnerable and you're sharing the truth, what it is like, and you're not masking your feelings and emotions, yet it is helping me. And so just like I mentioned about the journaling, I could see my progress. And so I committed to journaling and doing that for a year. And then I was like, okay, I'll write a book and I'm just going to pull all those pieces off of Facebook and drop it into a book. Well, that changed. I connected with a group to write a book. And so this book is not just informational, but it's transformational. So we talked about the steps and you can follow those steps as a do it yourself, or you can connect with me to be able to really get the support that goes along with that. And so writing that book, I wrote it, started it 13 months after Connor passed away. And it was cathartic because it helped me in expressing and journaling exactly what had happened but knowing I was helping others and knowing that 30 years ago, I didn't have the support that I needed and that this book now can make that difference because grieving moms don't have to do it alone. There are resources that I am one of those. So this is knowing that it's making a difference. I can help others by showing them that I'm an example this is what I used. And then how you can take it to that next level and move into really full overall healing by using those four physical or four health components I mentioned. Mm -hmm. One of them that you wrote about in your book is something that I, I do on a daily basis. And I... I have found it absolutely life-changing and that's gratitude and part of journaling or just, just gratitude in general. And that even in your darkest moment, if you can find a source of gratitude for your day, that you have a, a bed to sleep in, that you have a blanket or a pillow, or <laughs> you have a cup of coffee or the birds are singing, like it, it is even in the smallest things, if you can find those it's going to change your mindset and it's going because you can't have opposing thoughts in your head at the same time. You can't be thinking a sad thought and a gratitude thought at the same time. And so I really, I really liked seeing that in your book because especially for grieving parents, if you can find a source of gratitude throughout your day, it will be a start to healing, I believe. Yes, gratitude. And I do this every morning and it can be for the simple things that you have a pair of socks that you can put on. Our gratitude does not have to be this deep reflective process. It can be 
simple and what you are grateful for. And so I think it gets the act of gratitude gets overcomplicated. Yes. That you have pen and paper to write on. Because when we think about it, others may not have pen and paper to write on. They may not be able to hear a bird. They might not be able to see a flower in the springtime or smell the rain. So being able to appreciate those things and understand that not to take them for granted. Yeah, absolutely. And that they are precious. So sharing that, and not only for ourselves, but when we feel grateful, it impacts the energy that we carry around us. And I just love being surrounded by others who appreciate what they have and are grateful for the gifts that they've been given in life. Yeah. I have seen, I've seen it transform other people. Like it, it is transformational when you incorporate a gratitude practice in your day, it is Mm -hmm. transformational. So what is one tip Connor died by suicide? What is one tip that you can offer to those that have experienced the loss of a child through suicide? One of the things I think that is so difficult with suicide is that it's by choice. And as I mentioned, it's complicated, complex, it's messy. And I really think that in spite of wanting to know is that if you've lost a loved one to suicide, accepting the fact that you are never going to know the final reasons why is very important because you can get stuck in that canyon of why. You can also get stuck in blaming yourself, feeling responsible for what happened, but understanding why is not going to happen. My son was a really good young adult, but he had his struggles as well. He wasn't perfect. And so he had some struggles, yet he didn't share all of those struggles. I can guess on some of the things that happened and what catapulted him into making that final decision, but I won't know all those answers until I see him and reunited with him in heaven. But I'm going to ask, at that time, is it really going to be important? I could spend the next 30 years questioning and, and, and spending energy on answering that question of why versus actually making room for living life. And so come to that realization that you will never understand why, what that final tipping point. I think if you have a good picture of what causes someone in general, pain, frustration, lack of understanding, fear, but you may may not know what the exact pain was. You may not know exact fear. I think having a general overview may be helpful, but to understand the specific details, I think releasing that is extremely important. Mm-hmm. Don't spend your energy on it. Yeah. Um, I've been wondering how your other two daughters have been doing Hannah and Brittany since Connor has passed. Yeah. You know, it's really a different loss in between a parent and a sibling and they've had their own difficulties and I've been here to support them and give them the guidance that I can offer It's also important that they have reached out to others, developing their own tribe of support as well. So I'm part of that tribe, but not the entire, because I need to really make sure as well is that as the parent, I'm not leaning into them in entirety for my own healing, because I think that that's not fair in, in, doing that and expecting them to do that. Just as we've mentioned, it's like finding those who, who support us and you know, that, that they're doing okay. And again, Brittany now is a mother and she has a bonus baby and a fiance. And so she has accepted Connor's decision again, 
still missing him, but now she has a wonderful life. And in that odd way, as a result of him making his decision, that her life has changed dramatically. So I have two more questions. What is your favorite memory of Courtney and Connor? Ah, wow, tough ones here. You know, the the one that comes to mind initially with Courtney is she was nine months old. She wasn't walking yet, but she was doing a lot of scooching around, rolling, and even able to pull herself up. And so I remember in my bedroom that we had a floor length mirror attached to the wall and watching her just look at that and pat the mirror and leave her fingerprints and smile and giggle at the little girl that was in that mirror. Mm-hmm. And that was definitely one of those memories. And, and it was one of the ones closer to her passing because washing and cleaning that mirror off was one of those things that eventually happened when it was time to be able to look at moving forward. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Connor. <laughs> and the first one that comes to mind, there's so many, but again, the first one that comes to mind is when we would, when we put up a Christmas tree and in our formal living room, we rearranged the furniture in order to accommodate the tree. And one year as we moved the tree, I found boxes of Fruit Loop cereal <laughs> underneath the sofa. He had been hoarding them and hiding them. Yeah, you know, it was like all the kids are, you know, I didn't realize that cereal was disappearing that quickly. <laughs> so one year after that, guess what he got for Christmas? whole bunch of Fruit Loops. Uh-huh. A whole <laughs> bunch of Fruit Loops, boxes of Fruit Loops. Because he had been hoarding them and hiding them. Oh, that is awesome. That sounds like one of my boys too. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was, he, he had a sense of humor and he was probably uh, 10, 12 years old. And that was doing that. That is great. So where can my listeners connect with you and read your book and learn more about how you can help them? Yeah, a lot of questions packed in there here, Tiffany. So what I wanted to let them know is that, so the book Life After Child Loss is available on Amazon. You can get it there and it's a fairly quick read. It's not deep and scientific. It has stories of how I've been able to make it through. And now I have a program in which I help others to accept what they're going through, overcoming those fears, and really understand that grief healing is not just emotional, that it's emotional, physical, mental, and spiritual. And through that acceptance, you know, really help them to understand their grief, give themselves permission to grieve and permission to heal. Because when they are facing all the pain and anger, the frustration, the lack of sleep, the poor health, um, you know, not being able to function in a job, you know, and feel like they're not able to move forward through their loss, yet they may want it. So these are all things that help. And when we talk about overcoming their fear, you can have three different types of fear and help to address and figure out what is holding you back and preventing you from being able to move forward and helping them to face their fear. And then when it comes to those four components of health, you know, the physical, I come from a background of personal training and nutrition and wellness coaching. So helping with the exercise and, and the nutrition, the mental, how we address our mental state and address whether you're grieving in a healthy way or if you're moving into emotional health, which is challenged and really preventing. And when it comes to emotions and feelings, helping to identify emotions in those feelings and being able to learn how to work with those feelings and how we think. And the spiritual, as I mentioned, I am a 
a Christian, but I help others to explore the possibility if Christianity is what they want or help them to explore what they want to call their higher power. And so I help them to be able to get to that point in being able to go through and process their grief and come out and be able to have some purpose. And that purpose can be writing a book, but it can be conducting a podcast. It can be helping others or just that purpose can be being present for your family. So there's so many things and that purpose is up to you. So I help others through that, through hope and healing after loss. And so if somebody's interested in, in learning more about that, they can reach me in a couple different ways. And one is through my website. And so I'm the grief specialist. So I want to emphasize the with two E's, T-H-E-E, grief specialist, because I am the specialist in grief as not only have I lost two children, but I also have experienced the loss of my mother, my father, my sister, mm -hmm. nieces and nephews. So with that magnitude of loss that I've experienced, I'm able to bring this all together and share with others. So that's why I call myself the grief specialist. So that the grief specialist website.com, you know, the grief specialist.com, the grief specialist on Facebook, peggy.griefrecovery at gmail.com. Or if you're, the tech person, you can text the word breakthrough, and that's B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H to this number and 719-689-7808. Text that word breakthrough and we can connect and we'll do a consultation and see if these are the things that you want to be able to do is to learn how to accept it face those fears and understand how grief is more than your emotional health. So I can help you with all that so that you can trust that process and that you will come out. And it's a hundred percent responsible for me being able to be here and who I am. Mm -hmm. so. I will have all of that information in my show notes and I can't recommend your book enough, Life After Child Loss. I read it on the weekend and those eight steps will definitely help grieving parents for sure. I can guarantee it. <laughs> <laughs> so definitely check out Peggy's book. And yes, I will have all of your info in the show notes. So I end every episode with gratitude. And so today I wanted to say that um, I'm grateful for reading your book and I'm grateful also, I told you before we started recording that I was out camping and I'm just grateful that I have the smell of campfire in my hair <laughs> and that I was out in nature and that it was a beautiful night. What are you grateful for today? Oh, thank you. So I am grateful for the rain. We've had some wonderful rain. And yesterday that with my family, we sat in the hot tub with the rain. Oh, and it was just that. such a unique experience because living in Colorado, so many times rain is accompanied by thunder and lightning. And there was none of that. So it was safe to be out there. And it was just quite the experience in of itself to be sitting in a hot tub with the rain and being able to spend that time with my family. Um, it was absolutely amazing. That is. And I'm so very grateful, Tiffany, as well, that you have brought me on to your show and to be able to share this message with others. And the thing is, is that if there's one person, at least one person who this touches and makes a difference, then my message has been received and it, and it is so important. So I'm grateful for that opportunity. And as your listeners listen to this, if this resonates with you, or if you think that there's someone that it will help as well, please be sure to share it. Help someone else who may be struggling because nobody, absolutely nobody needs to do this alone. Thank you so much again, Peggy. I am so 
honestly, I'm so grateful that you reached out and asked if you could be a part of my podcast. It, your message is definitely going to help a lot of people. So I'm just grateful for you writing your book and for you sharing your hard, beautiful journey today with my listeners. So thank you. Thank you so much, Tiffany. Thank you again, Peggy, for being here and sharing your book and your eight steps to help other parents survive the loss of their child. If you know someone who has experienced such a loss and can benefit from hearing this episode, please share because as Peggy said, no parent should have to handle the loss of a child alone. Reach out and help someone who may need this message today. Thank you for being here with me today and taking time out of your busy day to listen. It really, really, truly means so much to me. Until next time, be kind and stay well. Bye-bye.